partner. We got another great episode of uh, our podcast. I'm going to talk about some good stuff. Um, this is going to be one of the areas that I used to work in back in the days, UMIG, which is, um, you're going to get you going to give me what it stands Unsolved for. Unsolved Major Investigations Group. Okay. And again, we're going to have two great detectives that are going to induce, introduce themselves about some of the things that great work that they're doing for our police department. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I am too. You know, I've never worked in investigations. Uh, I've always been in the patrol administrative side of the house, but we know what's trending on news and social exactly. media, some of the true crime stories, a lot of podcasts out there about that. And exactly. We thought we would uh, speak to two of our detectives. Right, and I'm telling you, we, two, we got two good seasoned de- uh, detectives that are yes. going to be talking about some things that are going on in our county that a lot of times maybe our county uh, citizens haven't heard or they have information that can help them out. Right. Um, so, again, this is going to be going to be big. And I'm, I'm going to start with Chris. Uh, Chris is one of, my, one of my good friends. And, uh, of course, Jim is going to jump in and uh, introduce himself. But, Chris, give me a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Chris Humphreys. I've been with the police department for 29, almost 30 years. Um, been in investigations since 1998. 1998. Now, now, where are you from? I grew up in Colonial Heights, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to high school down there. Went to college at Emory and Henry College initially, and then I transferred over to VCU where I graduated. Cool. And then shortly after graduated, I got hired here. Okay, and we'll we'll get into your history of um, your journey to becoming a, a detective in Chesapeake County, where you were, were before you uh, became a detective. But Jim, get a little bit about your uh, your background. I'm Jim Monksgard. I uh, grew up in a small town in in Pennsylvania called Warren, Pennsylvania. Uh, went to school a couple hours away in Edinburgh, and then I uh, was able to get hired on with Cheshire County Police, and I've been with the department now for 15 years and been in investigations for eight of that. I'm going to loosen this up a little bit. I'm going to loosen it up. Edinburgh. Is that where we went and got snowed in and it started snowing while we were there on my car? Well, we actually went to the place you're trying to pronounce is Edinburgh. Edinburgh, okay. <laughs> yes. Did it snow it's there? It's Erie, right outside of Erie, Pennsylvania, in the town of Edinburgh. Okay, okay. And it did snow. And it did snow. Okay, that's the same thing. You then put me on notice you'd never go back to anywhere where it snows. True. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I just want to be sure. <laughs> so, just for our listeners to know, uh, most of you have heard of the other 28 specialized units that we have in the department that we offer our employees. UMIG, Unsolved Major Investigations Group, is a subsection of our Investigations Bureau. Right. Um, officers cannot put in to go to that, in, that unit you unless they're chosen. already in investigations. They can put in the list, and then our um, bureau commanders, they decide uh, uh, who goes to that position. Right, right. And back in my days, it was called Major Case. Right. And we did all of the cold cases and some right. of the things that came out. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Right. And I think one of the major things is the key word, the very first word is unsolved. Right. So exactly. we want our, our crime victims and families in the community to know that while we may not have had resolution in a timely manner of your liking or right. what's normal, what you perceive as normal, um, our department is committed to right. bringing justice to our victims. And they're still working on it. And they're still working these exactly. cases actively. All right, well, let's get into it. Chris, you want to start out? What you, what, what, what's going on now? And, and I like to start out with success stories, some of the things that you all have worked on and, then, um, and where you are now. Uh, several years ago, the people in charge here uh, decided to bring back myself, Johnny Capicelli, who's retired, to work on some unsolved cases. I think the county has... 40, about 40 unsolved, either missing persons and or homicides. Um, but the initial mission was no body cases. Okay. We had a, a lady that was missing 
reported missing. She worked at the Altria in Richmond, lived in Midlothian. Then a year or so later, we had a nurse that was missing who worked at Sheltering Arms over near St. Francis. And then we had a one from 1996 who was missing um, from Walmart on Midlothian Turnpike, mm -hmm. Linda Lunsford. Mm -hmm. uh, all three of those cases were put to the forefront by the people in charge at the time who created the unit. They asked us, Johnny and I to look at them and later on Jimmy came, came along and um, we worked all three as no body homicides uh -huh. with the Commonwealth Attorney's Office, with federal partners helping us and all three of them we charged and convicted um, defendants okay. for murders. Now nobody means we never recovered the actual victim. Correct. Um, but we, you were able to get a successful prosecution of suspects. Correct. Right. Um, it's not very common. Uh, at least it wasn't. It never been done in Chesterfield County. Right. Um, and then now we have three convictions, and I think think we are one of the only jurisdictions in the United States that's done that many. Right. Okay. Most of them are one, maybe two. Uh, we have now three. So, so so the latest one that you have, and then we'll go backwards. Walk us through not your investigation, but what some of the tools that were out there that got that you didn't have when it, when the case first started to what you have now. Are you talking about the most recent conviction? Right. Uh-huh, yes, well, sir. Well, that was Monk's case. I'll let Monk okay. talk about that. Jim, can he you did talk more, about he did that? all the work on that yeah, case. So. Yeah, we can talk about that. Um, that case, um, the offense date of when she went missing was December 26, 1996. It was 25 years ago. Um, so when we think back 25 years, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have a lot of our tools in terms of investigation. We didn't have a lot of online databases. Um, and we didn't have forensic testing like we do now. Right. So it's a culmination of all that and just the access to everything. Okay. It's, it's just a big deal. You know, back then, you would have to submit forms in order to get DMV pictures, which would take time. Nowadays, we can just run them on our computers and we get them instantaneously. So you have a, a partnership now with DMV? We as an agency do. Okay, that's what I mean. But it's right. just things have kind of gotten faster. They've evolved more and mainly DNA testing has gotten better, not only in this case, but every other case out there that we okay. work. So that's one of the big key things. Okay. And, and when you went back, were the, the victims, some of the loved ones, were they cooperative in there? Were, you, they, were they happy that you were still working on this case? Things of that sort? Yeah, the family in this case has always been great. They've okay. always been there since day one. Um, they've been doing what they should be doing, trying to get some resolution mm -hmm. in their mother's case. And a lot of the evidence was always there. It was just that at the time, back in 96, the state and the county as a whole wasn't really prosecuting no body homicides where the victim wasn't found. It just it, 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 was, it was done very sparingly okay. Okay. And under certain conditions. So the investigators at the time working on the case tried to get the Commonwealth Attorney's Office to prosecute the individual that they felt was responsible. But at that time, it just wasn't really... It just wasn't really a big thing. Right. Didn't want to be the first. Exactly. Yeah, okay. So that's the first case. That so was actually the this one that we just got the conviction on two or three weeks ago. Uh, that was the third one. That's the third one. Third okay. conviction, third case we worked. The first two was, well, first one was the Altree executive uh, was the first one, and then the second one was a nurse from St. Francis. But prior to that, um, just to give a quick little story about how it came about, um, Brian Smith, who was a retired lieutenant colonel here, had gotten 
somehow got to know this guy who was a, ret- a retired FBI agent. Okay. Who specialized in nobody cases <clears throat> named Bob Morton. Bob Morton was contacted. He came down to Chesterfield to our academy and gave a basically a presentation on how to work these cases, okay. how they had been done, how many had been done across the United States. It was hundreds of them. And Billy Davenport at the time was our elected Commonwealth attorney, was in the audience for that presentation, mm-hmm. along with a bunch of law enforcement, Larry Hogan, who's retired from the Commonwealth attorney's office now. Mm-hmm. And when that presentation was done, <clears throat> excuse me, Billy Davenport got Larry and said, we are going to prosecute these cases. So they had a, we had a meeting, um, the law enforcement, Commonwealth attorney, and they said, pick the cases that we're going to pick these three. It was the Altria, the nurse, and the Walmart case. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's how we did it. And we put together a task force, it was Johnny Capicelli and myself, a couple other detectives from the Persons Unit, and then Larry Hogan was assigned full-time okay. to mm-hmm. prosecute and that was his, that wasn't his first time being assigned to that type of unit. Larry had was was a well known expert exactly. Uh, exactly. violent crime murder prosecutor. Mm-hmm. He used to work in the city of Richmond before yep. he came to Chesterfield. So yep. Yeah. Okay. So now you you got that one solved. That was the latest, correct? Mm-hmm. What's the next one? Who worked the next one? The other one, with the second one was the, um, the nurse uh, Zulma right. Pabone uh-huh. was her name. Mm-hmm. I keep saying the nurse. Her name was Zulma Pabone. Mm-hmm. Um, she was a young mother lived up in Midlothian off of Hull Street. Yeah. Um, Disappeared, didn't come to work one day. Had a young, I think a child at the time was four or five years old, son. Um, lived with her father, her, her child's father, who was a doctor at Sheltering Arms Hospital. Long story short, we worked the investigation on him, and he was ultimately charged and convicted of first-degree murder. Right. So he was convicted he of was murder. was convicted of first-degree murder. It's been appealed all the way up through the Supreme Court of Virginia mm-hmm. and upheld. So he he's serving, I think he got 40 or 50 years. But still, the body has not been found. Body's never been located. Mm. Body's never been located. Do you have a lot of interaction with the family members? Or when you undertake these new, these three cases, did you go to the family and say, hey, we're restarting this? Or we are starting this, actively working this now? Yeah. Uh, like uh, any homicide, you have to have the, try to get the family's input but these cases especially because we basically tell them listen they're unconventional prosecutions Mm -hmm. they're very hard prosecutions um may or may not be successful and we basically say you know are you guys willing to try if y'all want us to try it we'll do it if you tell us no wait till we find the body or whatever then we'll take that into account probably won't go forward right right Right. but so we the family has a lot of input and in those three cases all the family um all three of those families were involved. And they came to the trial, like the last one we just had, they were there every day. Mm-hmm. She had a bunch of children, a bunch of grandchildren, brother, sister. Her mother's still alive, Ms. Lunsford's mother's still alive. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there was a lot of a lot of input from the family. So the next one was the Altria? That was the, the very first one. That was the first one. <clears throat> so that yeah, that we worked that one. Johnny and I worked that one. Johnny was a case agent, okay. lead detective. Johnny Capicelli. Um, same thing. I mean, she... Didn't come, to, didn't come to work okay. at Altria. She was a really high up executive, had a bunch of meetings that day, just didn't show up. Turned out um, she had been dating a guy who was married. She didn't know that, I don't think. But he was um, had a had some a troubled past, I'll just put it that way. Sure. He was very jealous of her. Mm-hmm. She broke it off with him after he, there was some violence towards her. She broke up with him. 
and then he came back and she had had another guy another friend at her house and then she vanished right the next day but this these these were um convictions that you already yeah he was convicted he was found he was convicted um in, of second degree murder okay okay and he's in the penitentiary and his still case no, was also upheld on the and still nobody has been located nobody was found on that one either no idea what, what where they are so what are we working on now i mean well can you can you say what we work and try to get information from someone that, that, that listens to this or even if you want to go back well we have i mean like i said i think there's 40 about at least 40 or maybe more unsolved what, what, can, what can we do to, to, to assist? Um, Call crime solvers. Crime solvers. We have a, yeah, crime solvers, the P3. Then we also have, UMIC has a, has a direct line to our office with a voicemail that we check pretty much every day. Um, but, you know, a lot of these cases, people know What's who going? did them. Exactly, exactly. And the families are still out. I mean, I, when, in quick example, we had a case where there were some remains were found in the Shoesmith landfill back in 1986. Uh -huh. yep. mm -hmm. we, it, we were able to identify her. Uh, she was a 16-year-old girl missing from the city of Richmond. But when, when mm -hmm. it hit the media, it's been about two years ago now, maybe three, when we put her picture out to the media, we had a generated, computer-generated image based off of her DNA. We didn't know who she was. Right. The phones literally, like, exploded. I, I've never seen phones ring that much. On wow. Case. All over the country, people were calling us. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when the public really comes out to give us that information um, to be supportive uh, of our efforts, it really helps. Right, yeah. And no, no bit of uh, information is uh, too small for you all to weed through and figure yeah. out, hey, where does it fall into this puzzle to try to bring resolution? Yeah, it, yeah exactly. That, when we got those tips on the, the uh, young lady from the landfill, um, we, were able, we, we were able to um, match up family who had reported a girl missing from Richmond a few months prior, and we were able, actually a Richmond homicide detective retired, Mark Williams, I think, Daryl, you probably know Mark. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. He reached out to me about that case as well. He helped me with it. He had worked on it in Richmond. But mm -hmm. anyway, just every little call, every little tip, we followed up on them and um, ended up clearing out some other stuff that was um, not related to that case, but we ended up clearing some other stuff. Right, too, so. right. <clears throat> so... Uh, what length of time does it take to do one of these cases? Is there an average, or is it just because it's been so few of them? You don't each is different in itself. Well, I assume you're talking about the no body specifically cases. Yes, I would say. I mean, the, the no body cases are very, very detailed. They're very difficult because you have to prove first. You have to prove in court that the victim is dead. Right. 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 That's the first hurdle you got to get. Then wow. you have to say, well, she's, he or she's dead. Mm -hmm. Second is, this person, this defendant, caused her to die or him right. to die. So it's two-pronged. And then, of course, you have to have an aggressive prosecutor. If you don't right. have an aggressive prosecutor, you can't do them. Right. And I've given presentations on these cases to other jurisdictions in the state, and they all ask me the same question. I said, until you get a Commonwealth attorney that's willing to, to, right. to take this case on, you're not going to ever get it done. Take that it, it's, it's a lot. It's a big lift. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. So. So are you are you all getting calls from other localities throughout the state or the country, being that you're now three in the last you know whatever number of years have solved unfound un, un, with no bodies? Are you getting calls from other people now? Other officers to get assistance? We've I've gotten 
we've gotten many calls on, from them, other jurisdictions, wow. other prosecutors. We Johnny Capicelli, Matt Ackley, who is a Henrico County prosecutor who helped us with the Namoranian case, which was the Altree executive. He was co-counsel with Larry Hogan. Mm -hmm. We went up and gave a presentation to the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit in, in Quantico on how to work these types of cases because they, the people they had there at the time, I don't know who they got there now, this is several years ago, mm -hmm. had no experience doing them. So okay. we just went up, gave like a little presentation on how, how we put our case together, basically. Now, so, so let me ask this. What led you first to investigations from patrol while becoming a detective? And then after you were comfortable, I assume, in the detective division, why did you want to go to something fresh and new? Because it was fresh and new or because it was a challenge? So you both worked in patrol. Why did you go to investigations? I worked in patrol for the first eight years of my career. And it was, it was good. It was fun. It was one of those things when you're young, it's just, you know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun out there. You can go do whatever you want to do. And you can kind of be your own boss to some right. extent. Right. But at times, you're the first line. So you're taking the reports. And you don't always get the opportunity to work them all the way through. Right. And there was, that was just something I was kind of interested in, was kind of seeing things through and seeing what's next once you get the initial to working it through to developing the suspect and carrying it all the way through the actual court process. So um, I put in for investigations, and I was first assigned to the Crimes Against Property Unit. Mm -hmm. And uh, I stayed there <laughs> for a few years, worked with um, Daryl. It was a lot of fun. We had a, a really good group. Uh, I learned an awful lot, mm -hmm. and um, after I was there for a couple of years, I went over to the Crimes Against Persons Unit to kind of pursue that aspect more of those kind of crimes, which are different than the Crimes Against um, Property cases. Right. So once I was in Crimes Against Persons for a while, um, once again, that was a lot of fun. Worked a few homicides, and um, just kind of liked that whole challenging aspect of those cases because they have their own unique problems that that kind of come with them. So after I was there for a few years, I um, put in for the Unsolved Major Investigations Group. I was lucky enough to go over there, and I've been there ever since. And it's, um, it's, uh, it's a whole new set of challenges. Those are cases that have already been worked under, you know, using conventional methods. And sometimes you get good suspects already, and sometimes you don't have anything, really. Right. And you have to start from scratch. And sometimes it's been 5, 10, 15, 20-plus years. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to get a fresh set of eyes in those cases and, and see what else you can possibly do with it. Awesome, awesome. Detective Humphreys? Um, I was in patrol for, I don't know, four, four and a half years, I guess. Chris is kind of old. I know. Very old. Very four old. and a half <laughs> years. <laughs> about, I, I want to say it was about four and a half. I went to, back then it was a unit called the Street Drug Unit. Yeah. Um, it was part of the Uniform Operations Bureau. Everybody wanted to go to that unit. It was a great place to work very aggressive street level stuff. It was, had a good supervisor named Jim Herring, who's mm -hmm. retired now. Mm -hmm. Great two years, about a year and a half of my life. And then I went to narcotics, vice narcotics, SID, special investigations division. That was my first taste of investigations. Oh, yeah. we, we loved it. Did yeah, thought, thought we were going to, mm -hmm. you know, when you're a young narcotics guy, you could get all the cocaine Save out the of world. county and <laughs> yeah. places going to be empty, you know. So we thought, so then I went, went to the DEA task force, followed a, one of my mentors, Pat McCann, yep. over there. Um, but then back in those days, <clears throat> they had a rotation, mandatory time. You had to rotate out mm -hmm. of special investigations. So I got rotated out mm -hmm. in 2005. 
and I didn't want to go back to the patrol road. I didn't want back to the road. Luckily, there was an opening in persons, so I went to the crimes against persons. Daryl was up there, um, Jeff Henson, Kate Clark, uh, Jerry Kennan, some you know, some Billy good George was mm -hmm. a supervisor. Wendell Payton was up there. Some good people. Yeah. But I learned a lot, whole lot of police work from, and I just I just got in my blood yep. after that. It was like working some murders and get involved in a hot case where everybody was working on them, not just me. It was right. The whole unit would come out back yep. in those days and work on stuff. I mean, probably, bring, I in, they bring in DEA, bring in different organizations. Whoever you could federals. get, yeah, if you brought a federal people in, if yes. you needed them for drug cases, yep, like the one exactly. case you had, the big mm -hmm. case with the whole family that was killed, unfortunately. The yep. men. Then, then um, what got me involved with the cold cases was Johnny Capicelli and I were asked to look at the food line homicide from mm -hmm. 1990 or 91 down here on Iron, in Iron Gate Shopping Center. And Johnny and I worked that with Larry Hogan as our prosecutor. Ended up charging some people. And we cleared multiple homicides in the city of Richmond. Cleared the murder, two murders. He was a double murder and got a conviction um, on the guy who was a trigger man. Mm -hmm. uh, he got double life sentence. And that just- Put it in your blood. That got me hooked yeah. on cold cases ever since. So. Yeah. Right. Good, good. And these guys are good at it. They are good at it. And uh, anything you want to add before we close that, that, that you're working on or that we can help you with? I know we got uh, a hotline or number that we can call. Yes. Call. Um, if our citizens would like to or our community members would like to call in on one of our unsolved cases, they can call area code 804-717-6024. Okay. It's 804 804-717-6024. If no one answers, leave a message. They are dutiful about calling you back. Okay, good, good. I would just say that, you know, there's plenty of cases dating all the way back to 1974, unsolved cases in this county. People are still around. People are, there's family members still around. You know, they deserve some answers. Sure. So if you know something, don't hesitate to call us. Right. You can leave your name. You can not leave your name. You know, we'll, we'll follow up on it. So right. we, we encourage anybody that has any information no matter how small you think it is or irrelevant you think it is, to contact us. Good. Before we close out, we have a general question we oh, ask yeah. most oh, yeah. of the people on the podcast that they don't know was coming. Um, <laughs> I guess similar to how Daryl told you all this was going to be 15 minutes, it's actually 30. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you do for stress? That's a good you one. have some high-stress jobs yes. of dealing with families, cold cases, you know, you have a lot of working pieces looking at what you do on a daily basis. Right. What do you do outside of work to deal with stress? We have, I, I think most of us all have a good family support network. They oh, understand yeah. that at times we work uh, very crazy hours. Sometimes we work days straight, uh, depending upon the information. But, I mean, I'm an outdoors person. Good. I like to get out in the outdoors and do stuff. I like to go boating mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, get away from work a little bit and uh, let everything kind of settle down, and then when it comes back around to Monday, it again. Good. Good for you. Yes. Good. Detective Humphreys. Same thing. I have family support, always have. Uh, I've got a young daughter. Keeps me busy oh, yeah. with away from the thinking about police work with soccer and school and sure. everything else she's got going on. Mm -hmm. I made a conscious decision years ago when after she was, I don't know, she was probably a year old, maybe two, that I used to live kind of live for the job. And then I said, I'm not doing that any longer. Good for you. Right. So, Good for you. So a paddleboard. Yep. I live on the river. I got a kayak. Spent a lot of time out there. So mm -hmm. anything to get away from the job. Right. Right. And I, and I think we all do that. I mean, even, you know, being in recruiting. Yeah, well, of course you do, Elliot. <laughs> but we all try to stay away from 
thinking about this 24-7. Everyone always say policing is 24-7. But again, you, you do have to relieve yourself and, and go do something that relaxes you and get your mind on some of the things that are going. So I commend you, brothers. I, yeah. I commend you for what you're doing, and I thank you. I see you. both of y'all have passion for what you're doing. I see it in your eyes. I see it in how you're giving these answers. So I thank you. I yes. really do. I I, I'm appreciative. You. and. Yeah, you know, I'm glad we sent Darla to come talk to you to convince you to do this, and not myself, and got <laughs> shut got shut down immediately. Yeah, um, yeah, but I do want to remind our listeners again of that that so important phone number. It's eight zero four seven one seven six zero two four. Solving crime takes public support. It yeah. takes just a lot of, and and like Detective Humphreys and Monthcard said, you know. We want to bring closure to these families. Sure. We, and, want, and we want justice for them. And that's another partnership with the it police is. department when you're giving that information to, to, to help solve some of these cases that we have going on because we want everybody to feel that this county is safe enough for you. Even if it happens, at least we can get it solved. That's right. Partner, another good one, brother. Excellent. Another excellent. excellent podcast that we're going to send out to the folks, and hopefully we'll get some information from yes. And we want to thank our listeners and ask you to join us again. Again, you can find us on all of our social media applications, and you can listen to us on YouTube and Spotify and wherever you find your podcasts. I'd like to remind you, we are hiring for police officers, police service aides, as well as lateral police officers. You can go to joinccpd.org. That's joinccpd.org. And you do that well. Uh, thank you. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you guys. Thank you all. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you, gentlemen.